and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Shannon Gilliland, I am so excited to have you as a guest on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to it. Oh, thank you so much for the invite. (laughs) My pleasure. And I'm dying to hear all about you and your business. So let's kick off with, do you want to tell everybody what it is that you do and why you're doing it? Certainly. So I'm working on a product called Pronto Bottle. And this Mm -hmm. is something that came about about four years ago when I first had my daughter. And like many other parents, I went to the bottle feeding process very quickly because I struggled with the breastfeeding uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to actually developing Pronto Bottle, which is the self-sterilizing bottle because And it wasn't even the right idea. It was something different that I came up with. I kept running out of bottles. I thought I was a very, very organized parent, but I wasn't apparently. (laughs) It's a a lot of mess trying to sterilize the bottles and get it all ready. And and if you're formula, and I was formula with my twins as well, it's, yeah, it's just next level messing around. (laughs) Yeah, you're not kidding. And especially if you you have the habit of running out of them, so which is what you mm. know my process was. So I went about trying to solve that. Right. Um, but my background is actually in entrepreneurship and innovation, so I actually studied that at university. Um, oh and wow! You're the yeah. first person I've spoke to that's actually studied it. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have to give us um, some yeah, hints so later I actually, on. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I said you'll just have to give us some hints later on. Just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, Yeah, so instead of running off and obviously going and designing something to solve just my problem, um, I went down that uh, problem discovery journey and actually went and interviewed other parents and basically just said, um, how are you traveling with your baby? And I did this process in libraries and cafes. So not only could I hear what they were telling me, but I could also see what they were telling me they were experiencing. And from that came the issue of parents having to spend all that time washing and sterilizing multiple bottles and all the crap they carried with them, like, you know, an extra two kilos for bottles alone, let alone nappies and clothes and all the other stuff. Uh, And that's kind of where the journey started was actually then solving that problem and developing a product to actually solve it. Yeah. So, I've got two questions. The first one is, what was your initial idea for solving the bottles? And secondly, I'm dying to know how a bottle self sterilizes. <laughs> so, kick me off with what first. you thought you'd do first. Uh, yeah. So, the first uh, concept that I came up with was actually a product that you could pick up from a service station or a Coles or a Woolworths or wherever you were oh. traveling. And oh. it would basically be a single serve biodegradable baby bottle that you could pick up that would have the water and the powder separated. And you would literally twist it. The formula would fall into the water. You could shake it and then give it to bubs. So, it was um, this interim oh thing that God, you could do. Oh, my God. Are you going to do that as well? It's so <laughs> clever. <laughs> I think most people would balk at the idea now because of the whole issues around plastic. Even though it's biodegradable, there would be concepts, you know, you'd have to sort of try and fix that. But right. it's certainly it's certainly something that would still solve a pain point. But with Pronto, I think we've done it in an even more unique and efficient manner. Right. Um, Tell I guess, me how it all works. <laughs> that leads into your second question. And it's it was, so what we did is we discovered UVC light and it's being used in the medical field and in dental field at the moment 
as a sterilization for mm-hmm. uh, surgical equipment and, you know, devices. So we use that technology and integrate it into the baby bottle. And that tech really hasn't been small enough uh, prior to the last four years. So before it used to be these lamps, almost like a, you know, bigger light bulb that they were using oh, to yeah, actually okay. do this. Yeah. Whereas now it's gone down into a little microchip and it's wow. basically small enough to actually integrate into something as small so as a baby bottle. So what do you do, bottle. press a button and it sterilizes it or how does it actually work? Yeah, so it basically just has a button on the lid and the button on the lid activates the UVC light within the bottle and it quite literally sterilizes the water of the bottle and the teat all at the same time, which means you don't have to do you know, all that sterilization process at home. And you don't have to have five or six bottles that you're pre-sterilizing. Oh, you're wow. literally so traveling with one bottle as empty. Well. So it does the water. I love this idea. This is mm. so clever. <laughs> and so how do you do the teat as well? Do, is, do, is it when you turn the bottle upside down and sort of, you know, I remember screwing the teat inside the bottle. Is that what you do to get the teat done as well? At the moment, because of where we've situated the actual UVC component, it sterilizes mm-hmm down, facing downwards into the water in the bottle, the internal components. But there's also a light facing upwards, which sterilizes the teat underneath and the surface area of the teat, which is basically all you need to sterilize. Yeah. That is amazing. You are amazing. So was there a particular moment where you went from, gee, we need to think of something to do, to I know what I'm going to do. I can't stand this anymore. I'm going to create a new <laughs> bottle. I- I know you, like there's usually typically a light bulb moment for most people, but my brain has always been a problem solver. So it doesn't right. seem to matter where I am in life. I'm always thinking of ways to solve things. And I guess That's this is why brilliant. the whole entrepreneurship was just such a great journey because it's just my brain is naturally geared towards this. So, of course, when I went through this problem, I was like, right, I'm going to solve this. How am I going to fix this? <laughs> Amazing. And how many kids have you got now? I've got one. So, I've, we had the one little girl, so she's now yeah. four, um, but we made the decision to stop at one because I knew that I didn't have the time, patience to deal <laughs> with another child. I knew where my limits were. <laughs> Very wise. I thought I'd have one more and I got twins. So, there you go. I had oh, to go no. from one to three really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this would have been an interesting product for you going through the twin process. It would have been a godsend through the twin process because I, d- I had really big boobs and I decided I really didn't want to yeah. breastfeed two children. Yeah. And so I there's, there's pills you can take in the labour ward if you don't oh. want to have milk come in. Oh. And so I I said to my doctor from the beginning, I don't want my milk to come in. They gave me these um, pills and then I just went down the route of – and there's a oh. – and certainly this is 15 years ago. There was a, there was a, a lot of, I don't want to say shame, but there were, a, there was a, the dump, the World Health Organization was pushing, mm. uh, breastfeeding down everyone's throats. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I don't even want to tell anyone. Sorry, you go, go for on. it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I became really good friends with, um, Pinky Mackay, who's all about breastfeeding and everything. Mm. And I remember thinking, do I tell her that I never did? And I did. And she was fantastic because, you know, there's loads of women that can't breastfeed as well that are left, um, you know, feeling sad and worried and all the rest of it about what, you know, what are people going to say about me having formula? So 100%. And I I think my dad was. Sorry, keep cutting you off. (laughs) No, no, it's me. I was going to say my dad was an obstetrician and I remember him saying early on, don't feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. And my mum, who worked with my dad for years, saying in the olden days formula was like 
you know, carnation milk with water in it. She yeah. said now it's so scientifically close to breast milk, people shouldn't feel bad about it at all. Now yeah. I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say I 100% agree with you. And honestly, four years ago, things hadn't changed. I still felt that um, breastfeeding shame of not being able to provide for my daughter. I remember, you know, I was only two weeks into it uh, and I was in agony, like absolute mm. agony. Like every time my daughter fed from me, you know, the usual thing of chapped nipples, bleeding nipples. And I felt like I had this massive searing pain that would go from my breast all the way around to my back when she was feeding. Mm. And my partner came home one day and was just like, what are you doing to yourself? I was like, I have to do this. And he's like, who says you have to do this? Like your yeah. mental and emotional health is probably just as important as you feeding your baby. And there's formula for this. You know, and I think yeah. it was just a key turnaround when I realized that um, my partner was going to shame me and wasn't going to, sorry, shame me. <laughs> and he was probably the most important person in my that's life right. other than my daughter at that stage. And that's all that was important. But it was still difficult. I remember going to cafes and being ashamed to pull out the bottle and feed her and watching, you know, mums around me breastfeeding. I was like, oh, man, I just really wish I could do that and just being envious. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I just didn't want to take out my massive knockers anywhere. So, and, and I mean, we laugh, but when you have really big boobs yeah. and then they become engorged with milk, it's yeah. not fun. Yeah. And somebody said to me, oh, my God, you're going to be like a cow sitting there with your udder. And I remember, and it was only a throwaway comment, and I thought, I am not doing it. Oh, wow. Anyway, it's not about me. This is all about you. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey, but I'm going to actually get you to take me right back to when you were a girl mm. and how you've ended up this um, doing what you're doing, which mm. obviously is a natural fit. So can you take me through the story of your life? <laughs> sure. I don't know if it's going to be a long one, but we'll, we'll see how we go. I'll stop you when, I, when you get to juicy bits, don't okay, worry. excellent. <laughs> I, I guess, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm South African born, so oh, I actually – Yes, yeah. Right. And um, I – obviously spent a fair bit of time growing up on a farm in South Africa. That was my background. Um, and I think from that point, you know, being like most kids, I don't think most kids grew up being in a rich environment. Some of us were privileged, some of us weren't. And for us, it was, you know, if something broke down on the farm, it was you fixed it with whatever you had available. And there was a saying in Afrikaans, which is like, which is farmer makes a plan. And I think oh. that from a very young point instilled in me this idea of there's, you know, we're, whether there's a problem, there's always a way to solve that problem. And it doesn't mean going out and buying stuff. It's like, you know, what are the tools that I have available right now that I can fix this problem with? And so I think that's where it started. It was kind of ingrained right. from being a young child, you know. And um, so did you make yeah. things when you were younger? Were you sort of quite crafty or, or inventing things at a young age? I was more artistic, to be honest. I spent a lot of time drawing. That was my okay. sort of thing. And that's – I guess where it led me to the first lot of studies I did, you know, I sort of fast forward a little bit. We moved to Australia with my mum and dad and um, we stopped in Adelaide was where they actually went up settling for a while. And I did some studies right. there. And the first lot of studies was all about uh, like creativity. It was like painting and clay work and pottery. And I just loved it. I loved getting oh, my gorgeous. hands dirty yeah. and just seeing, I guess it's kind of like a problem solution thing, isn't it? <laughs> but in a more creative yeah. way. <laughs> So roughly how old were you when you came – or, well, you would know. Yes. How old were you when you came over from South Africa? Mm, I was 12 and we actually – when we did the move, it was just at the time of apartheid ending in South Africa as well. So Mandela had come in. There was a lot of unrest going on. My parents had decided to move because the farm we had was quite – lit. it was literally on the border of South Africa and Zimbabwe. 
And the thing that separated us was the Limpopo River. So our backyard was quite literally the Limpopo River. Um, And there was unrest there happening with, you know, farms being taken and stuff. And it was getting pretty violent. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. Um, So my parents decided to make the move out. And then we... We stayed in Darwin for a couple of years. We settled there for a few years and then moved to Adelaide, which is where my mum had uh, her parents and her family. And we, you know, I spent probably 15 years there for a while. We went back as well. We went back to South Africa about two years after we first arrived. Um, Just for a holiday or were you kind of going back going, have we made a mistake? No, the intent, look, my mum's intention was to actually move back permanently. So we right. moved all of our stuff. My dad thought we were crazy. So I actually thought my mum and dad were going to separate at the time because he was oh, hell bent to not actually go back. Um, but we stayed for a year and then we came back to Adelaide. Um, yeah. And I said to my mum when we came back, I'd only finished year 10 at that stage. And I said to my mum, you're not putting me back in school. I refuse because I got bullied terribly at school as well. I was the complete nerd and um, just the kid that didn't fit in, really didn't fit in. I was such an outsider. Um, wow. and I said to my mum, if I'm going to study, please let me go study at TAFE. I'll, I'll go and study, but just don't put me back in school, you know? And that was the, the first lot of creative studies I did was all this, this art and pottery and, you know. Right. Mm. Wow, isn't that funny that it's you didn't different. like school and, let, and yet <laughs> yeah. you're such a brainiac, really. <laughs> I'm a, a nerdy entrepreneur. <laughs> Can't well, stop me now. You know, that's the best kind of woman, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, so you did the artsy, crafty thing through mm. TAFE. Yeah. How did you – what did you do then? Because mm. you obviously did go and study a degree. So mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did that all unfold? Yeah, I fast-forwarded through the next studies I did was actually in interactive design and it was more graphic fixed design. Um, and that sort of evolved then later on till I was a bit older. And we actually, I met my partner in Adelaide. I'm probably about 24 years old now. And we moved to Melbourne together. So my partner's working in the car industry and right. I was trying to get into an animation course in uh, Adelaide, but there weren't many courses available. It was really difficult to get into. So we said, look, let's go to Melbourne. He's got more options for his work. Yeah. And I actually had more options for study. And then I actually studied my first bachelor's, well, like bachelor's in animation. So that's how it kind of evolved from creative work right. to graphic and design. Was that at Swinburne? Mm. The Swinburne no. was always the, oh, where did you go? No, it was a little place. Uh, what I'm trying to remember what it's called now. It's it's melded with another universe. It was called Quantum, but they've they've melded now with another oh, okay. u- university. Oh, so it wasn't sort of a big name uni. No, no, no. It was quite a small one, but then they yeah amalgamated with another university, which was a, a film and audio. Um, How fantastic yeah, place! And then from that point, graduated and then started my own. It was my first company actually. I started a company with a fellow founder, and we started a indie game studio. So we were making games and mobile applications for clients, and we also did oh game. Oh my god, you're blowing my yeah. mind! Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. you, you started making apps for phones and things. Yes, yeah, yeah. How cool is that? <laughs> it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit different. Okay, uh, so wow, that that really shocked me. So you had an indie game studio. How yeah. long did you do that for? And how did yeah. that go? Mm, we had that for two and a half years, and um, it was an interesting time. So when we graduated, there was a real shakeup in the games industry where a lot of studios were closing. I think it was just at the end of the previous GFC. It was like 2010. So, you know, studios were closing left, right and center. We also looked at ourselves and said, we've got no job prospects here in Australia. What's going to happen? Um, and we went, well, well, we'll start our own studio like some people do and um, just did that. Good girls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in post that, I, I stepped away and then sold my portion of the 
the company to my business partner because right. um, I wanted to learn more. And I felt I could learn more if I worked for a, a larger studio. And I actually oh, sort of okay. fell more into project manager roles. So rather than being specifically in animation or graphic design, I actually went and worked for Electronic Arts on one of their games, their, their titles for a while uh, as a project manager, which was great. Oh, is Electronic Arts a, yeah. a, a company? It's known in yes. the gaming industry. What, yeah, have they done a famous one that I know of, like Angry Birds? or uh, so, Well, the Sims, there's things like <laughs> The Sims Free Play, Star Wars, that oh, kind of right. thing. Yeah, so a massive global studio. Mm. And I was lucky enough that the game I actually got to work on was one that I was completely obsessed with at the time. It was called The Sims Free Play. And I right. remember walking into the studio and just completely nerding out, going, oh, my God, I get to work <laughs> on this game that I love so much. <laughs> Mind you, now that I've stepped like that away, too. I don't think I've played a single game since. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's so funny because that's one of the questions I'll ask you at the end, but we'll save that for the end. <laughs> totally. Okay, so you got out of that business mm. to go and study. What did you do next? The next studies then after that, so obviously working for indie games myself and then working for a large corporate studio, it was a very different experience between the two and I promised myself I would never work for corporate again. Um, I didn't like the sense of being a cog in a system. I really liked doing my own thing, you know, making my own path. And the the first, the light bulb experience was actually deciding to study entrepreneurship. I remember um, my partner and I sitting on the couch and I said to him, look, I'm just lost at the moment. I really don't know what I wanted to do. And I went to the post office and there was this book of, you know, careers and things you could go and study. And I just went, you know yeah. what, I'm going to open it. And whatever's on that page, is going to be something that's going to jump out at me. And this is how kooky I can be at times. So I just opened it up and it was entrepreneurship and innovation. I was like, oh. That is it. And that was my light bulb moment. I was like, that is it, you know? And I remember telling my partner I was going to do this course. And he's like, are you mad? Like, why don't you go and study an MBA? At least then you'll get a job. I'm like, I'm going to create my own job. I'm going to change the world. What are you talking about? I'm with you. (laughs) Which is quite hilarious. So, and I remember sitting in my first class and just feeling like I had found my people. It was, a, you know, wow. I really felt like it was just. So, like, yeah. which uni did you go to for that? That one was Swinburne. Yeah, because that's yeah. a really. In fact, I've done a couple of talks, I think, about PR in that ah, um, entrepreneurship course. But fantastic. Yes, I, I love. I wish I had known about that when I was mm. younger. So, yeah. how long's that? That's three years. The if you do the master's degree, yes, it's a three-year course. But I only completed the grad cert, which is just a year. And that basically put right. us through, you know, creativity and innovation, opportunity discovery, finance and marketing. So kind of like the basic framework when you're first doing that problem solution discovery and setting up your business. Right. Um, at the time, we had another business. Uh, aside from all of the stuff going on, my partner and I, we'd actually started importing a sex toy. So we'd, we'd started exporting and selling <laughs> the sex toy in Australia. So that was our second or third side hustle by this stage. Was it, it wasn't something that you'd invented. It was something that you found. What was it? No. Was it a woman's one? I mean, is it one yeah, we would know? Yeah. Well, you may know it. So there was this guy in the US with a PhD in applied physics and he developed this device, sex toy for his partner. And I don't know yeah. if you know what the ride on Sibian is, the saddle. No. It's, this, it's this big clunky thing that basically looks like a horse saddle. You sit on the floor, but it vibrates that crazy. You get a full, full orgasm, like full clitoral orgasm, and wow. um, which is which is pretty amazing. But what he did yeah. is his partner wanted something that was handheld that she could travel with. So he developed this thing that basically had the same amount of power, but in a handheld oh, device. And I saw this. Oh, and oh, we you're went, giving me twinges <laughs> even as we speak. <laughs> So I was like, this is great. Why isn't it in Australia? So I've emailed him and said, can you send me one? And he's like, oh, we're not, you know, we're not selling in Australia yet. So I was like, you know what? 
I said to my partner, let's do it. Let's see if we can import this and start distributing it. And that's how the sort of was a second or third side hustle by that stage started. Wow. And, so how did that yeah. one go? Were, I mean, are you still doing it or did you just do it for a while? We did we did it for a while. So one of the most amazing things, and this is the, the part of having businesses as an entrepreneur, there's so many things you fail and we failed miserably yes. at this business. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, and you always learn from the failures, always. Yes. So tell me, what did you learn? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There was two main <laughs> two main issues. Was One, it was the first time this person had ever produced anything, ever manufactured something. Um, they were doing it by themselves with no support network, had ah. never exported anything before. And we were new to it. We were new to importing, so we didn't know anything about, you know, quality control checks, what importation, exportation yeah. taxes, this kind of stuff, you know. Um, so, when we had our first product arrive, they weren't individually boxed. They were all just thrown into one <gasps> box and they all – probably 50% of the stock was broken when it arrived. Yeah, and the box looked like it had been crushed. I was like, no. oh, what and are we dealing with? did they do any packaging at all or were you supposed to do your own no, packaging? No, we were supposed to do our own packaging. But the problem oh is the God. company, they got to stack it to actually box it up, said they would do it in a certain way and they didn't. So, for them, they Ooh. lost a lot of money because obviously we said, we are not paying for this stock. This is not what yeah. we paid for. So, they sent us another lot. So, obviously, that didn't do them very well. So, um, big learning is ask for some samples and try it before you yeah, buy it. And 100%. also, I guess, because um, I went through a stage after my sons were born where I just became ridiculously um, entrepreneurial and I started contacting companies and going, let me sell the Australian, you know, yeah. give me the Australian rights. Yeah. No idea at all. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm lucky that in a lot of cases they said no. <laughs> <laughs> or I would have been in the same boat. Yeah. So, um, so you go and study entrepreneurship yeah. while you've got a little business on the side. Yes. How was yeah. and, and what what did you decide as you came out of that? Um, what I decided was one we were looking at editing the editing editing the type of products we were importing. So when we were doing our studies, I actually did a case on adult toys and talking about things like blue ocean strategies. So how do you take one device or product and sell it in a different way or a different market? So we were investigating doing that. Um, But at that time I came up, as I do, as entrepreneurs do, with another (laughs) idea that I worked on with the team. I I just love you so much. Can (laughs) I just say that? (laughs) My my ideas book is overflowing. Just Yes. Yes, I get it. <laughs> oh, dear. So, we, yeah, we sort of started investigating, working on this other idea. We were still working on the adult toy stuff. Um, but by that stage, we sort of evolved from it just being this simple um, handheld device where he actually developed. It was a strap-on that actually was touch responsive. It was the first strap-on where the wearer would actually receive feedback from using it. So, depending on how the dildo what? was touched, it would provide vibration back to the person who was actually wearing it, which was awesome. So we Lord, I didn't even know that existed. I know. <laughs> and it, like I said, it's the first time it existed and we could have imported, they had, you know, harnesses that you wear to, to strap them to your body. And we could have imported, it was like, you know, vegan versions that they were making over in the US. And my partner and I said, well, why don't we just make them ourselves? Like, why don't we just learn leather work? We'll just add to our toolkit. So we went, <laughs> we went and learned leather work, started making these harnesses. And then that involved into like us making bondage gear. So you went right down that route. We did. Your, but, your partner sounds like the perfect match for you. Can yeah, I just say as well? Yeah, very much. So I think we, we definitely lead each other down the garden path. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's a perfect segue into baby products, right? Like how do you get of to course, get, having a baby? BDSM into baby begins yeah. with the same letter. It's yeah. like a match made in heaven. Totally. <laughs> so, so how did you, how did you make, 
take that leap from one mm. to the other. I mean, other than getting pregnant and, mm. and then everything changes anyway. That was that was probably pretty much it was the fact of getting pregnant. So we'd been running the Etsy store doing the leather work, which was going really well at that stage. Um, pregnant, did the move and then went through the bottle why fitting did, process. Why, yeah. why did you do the move? Oh, the move oh, so we actually moved from being in the city to out into the country. And right. both my partner and I have, you know, country kid background. So obviously me being a little farm girl, my partner right. was pretty much the same. He traveled around most of Australia when he was a kid. Um, his yep. dad was working in various mines and stuff. So he spent a lot of time doing that. And we just, we wanted fresh country air for our kid to run around for a few years and have some of the experiences that we yes. do as kids, you know. Fantastic. Uh, so you're in King Lake, yeah. which is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. What, about an hour out of Melbourne? Yes, it's about an hour. And yeah. So did you look in King Lake or were you just like, we're just going to look for properties and see what grabs us and, you know, wait for the universe to deliver to us? <laughs> it was actually a chance thing. So friends of ours had moved out into Warburton and we right. went through for a day trip one day to check, you know, obviously to catch up with them and check out the house. And as we're going through, I said to my partner, oh, just for curiosity's sake, I wonder if we can have a look at a few places for a brand. In the real estate, we're, yeah, in yes. the real estate. Yeah. And we looked at this place in King Lake and we spoke to the agents and checked it out. And he's like, oh, you know, you guys are still working full time. This might be a bit too much for you. And it's like six acre property that required, you know, mowing every weekend or something and gardening. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And he said, yeah. if you're not in a hurry, just I'll come back to you. Give me six months. I think there's something that's going to come up. It's going to be up your alley. And uh, my partner's one of these people. He needs he needs time to seed the thought, and he needs okay. time to process before he can do something as Are big as a move. Do you process really fast? Instantaneous. Like uh, uh, yeah, once I've I made a decision. Too. Yeah. Dri- drives my partner round the twist. He's like, "Would you just <laughs> slow down?" One hundred percent the same. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> know. Oh, I know. I feel, I feel like I'm talking to myself in some ways. Um, other than your incredibly smart and successful. I haven't quite got there myself. I think you, I think you have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, so you made the move yeah. and what, what were you doing while you were pregnant? Mm. Do you know, it the was so thing. boring. Oh, well, we were doing the, the bondage gear via Etsy. So I was running that store, doing the marketing and branding and et cetera for that packing, packaging everything up as well. Um, but the other thing, I was waitressing. So I was waitressing part-time as we were doing the other business and right. it's not very exciting. And then I moved into doing housekeeping when I first had my daughter as well. It was just something to get money through the door. Yeah. And I must have been, I lost a bit of confidence in work as well. I sort of felt like, heck, I've been out of a real job now for two or three years as I was pregnant, studying, doing this stuff. And now here I am with a little one in hand. Mm. Um, so when the whole bottle fitting issue came up, I kind of felt good in my mind to be working on something that felt natural again to be problem solving like going back to that that grassroots yeah. problem solving issue you know yeah so talk to me about what it's like when you've had an idea and you turn it into a business especially when it involves manufacturing <laughs> scary <laughs> scary as heck yeah, I, I can only imagine how scary so uh, yeah. um you know how did you fund it for a start uh, did you raise capital to start off with, no, we've we've self-funded probably the first six months to a year, you know, which is quite difficult. So obviously I didn't have an income. I was working on this, and then my partner was funding really 
some of the production of this, right? So right. we and it ideally I didn't and it's even quite think expensive, of expensive, isn't it? It's so expensive. And then, oh my god! And then yeah. you have to do you do patents because that's another thirty yeah. or forty grand. Yeah, we did the patenting, uh, submitted the patents, but it's not all at once. So you kind of go through there's right. your provisional patent, and then there's your PCT, and then there's your full national filing okay. of your patents within certain countries that you're going to. Um, export out to. So it's not a big, massive lump sum cost, but it is a cost. You know, when you're sort of self funding things and somebody puts a $12,000 cost on your desk, you're like, oh, you know, you have a bit of a shock. You're like, how am Wait I going to do this? Again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So, so you self funded mm-hmm. it. And, and then how did you. So what, what happened then? I mean, I'm really intrigued by taking the leap to go into manufacture, but there's a lot of work that goes into yeah. inventing and coming up with prototypes and things yes. first. Yeah. I think the biggest thing to say is like I didn't – I tried my best not to look at the big picture at times because it can become very, very overwhelming Clever. when you think, shit, I'm going to try and take this to manufacturing. And I think you start off, as most entrepreneurs tend to when they're working on something like this, is you start off just going, you know, what is the problem? And you investigate and you do a lot of research around this and then solution, you investigate again. And then you go, what's the next step? So ideally, I need to build some sort of model of this. So you bring in a design team to work with you on this. And then you start looking at, you know, what are the legal implications? So then you start looking at and, legal and so companies. let me just say, yeah. When you bring in the design team or start mm. talking to people, I know with products that I've had in the past, mm. they a lot of them say it hasn't been done before, can't be done. Uh, whatever you're asking, you know, it's impossible because we have to build new machinery, all this kind of rubbish. And you go, of course it's possible. Just tell me how. Yes. Did you have a bit of that? Not so much, but what oh, I good. did have was a lot of design studios handing me like, this is going to cost you $100,000 up front. And I was like, are you crazy? I'm in startup mode. There's no way you're going to squeeze $100,000 out of me for a design, you know? So, I think the biggest and the most difficult part to start off with was finding the right design studio that understood the um, potential the potential and the difficulties being a startup, trying to find the funds at the right time to get you to that next stage, whether it was investment or the next big milestone so you could have that next big conversation to get more investment through. Um, so, did you yeah. partner with them? Do they have equity in the business? How did, you, no. how did you manage to navigate that? No, they don't have equity in the business, but we found them – we actually found them online. They were a recommendation from a friend. We had the conversations with them. We'd had well, – we'd been through three design studios by that stage as well. And the conversation, I knew it was right with them when the first thing they said to us is, right, you don't need to spend. Like This is, this is going to be the potential of what you will spend. But right yeah. now, you can spend fifteen dollars to $20,000. That will get you your design. It'll get you your first lot of prototyping. And at that stage, is probably the next big milestone where you can prove to investors and you can have that next conversation. So, they knew oh, wow. they could actually step it out, which was huge, you know? That is huge. You yeah. might have to tell us what their name is because I don't think there's a lot of companies that would do <laughs> that. No, there's not. Yeah. And they sound amazing. They are. They? There's a company called Boost Design and they work out of Sydney. They're a company from Sydney. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. So, um, so you spent that 20 grand and you mm. got it to that stage. Yeah. Then what did you do? Mm, so much. <laughs> Other than panic because you spent 20 grand and you need more money to keep going. <laughs> uh, the next thing was um, trying to find the knowledge to actually build the company at the same time because obviously it's not just about the product development. You're trying to build a sustainable company as you're doing this. Mm. And for me, it's always been about knowledge gathering, mentorship and funds. And the key three things that I thought it was and how I could find those. And ideally, it's getting into something like a, a um, what do you call it? 
uh, acceleration programs. So incubator kind yeah, of incubator, yeah, yep. yeah, one hundred percent. And I think it was twenty nineteen we incorporated the company in February. Um, right. I did my first pitch, my first public pitch with Pronto, and actually won the pitch as well. And, and where did you do it? Uh, do, do you know the event called Silicon Block in Melbourne? No, but I uh, I know Silicon Beach, and I have a uh, feeling it might be something to do with that. Something with similar, yes, yeah. And so you got up yeah. on a stage mm. and did it that way. I did, yeah, yeah. Oh, good girl. <laughs> and it was, I guess, one of the things you look at as well is not just about raising funds to develop your products. It's about what services can you gain access to, and pitch events is really good for yeah. service. Getting into co-working spaces at the time, obviously co-working spaces were available, physical spaces that is, and also getting yourself in front of investors. So the more often they see you and see you progressing over a set amount of time, I think it's good again yeah. for building that that relationship. That's, that's really good advice. Mm. What were you asking for? Um, at the event, I was asking for mentorship and funds right? Um, because I knew I hadn't developed a physical product like this before. Right. Um, Leatherworks a little bit different than you know, manufacturing <laughs> something for mass markets. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation <laughs> where the investor goes, so tell me what else have you done in the parenting space? Mm. You go, BDSM? <laughs> I don't think it was something I mentioned, actually. I think this might be the first time I mentioned you this publicly, so oh. I'm hoping people still talk to me afterwards. Of course they will. I will anyway. <laughs> it's such a great contrast as well, I think. Well, in, on yeah. the one hand. On the other hand, how do you make babies? Yes. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah that's a, let's be realistic. <laughs> so you got your mentoring at the pitch event. Mm. When did you decide that you needed to go and find money? And how did, mm. how did you, in heaven's name, did you do that? Um, so we got into a couple of I jumped ahead. No, 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 this you, is you fine. No, this, this is perfect. So we... Because of the pitch event, and we won a free co-working space or access to a free co-working space for a year, and that was um, One Roof, actually. That's how I met Cherie. Oh, right. And we were lucky enough to work out of that space. We met a lot of service providers through the actual One Roof working space as well. Yeah. Um, the next key thing for funds was knowing that to get to that next stage, which was a physical prototype, I would need to raise a certain amount of funding and also to be, then go through the patenting to set up the company, the legals, et cetera, there needed to be a set amount of funds that would come in, including branding and marketing, right? Yeah. Um, and the first stage was actually I- And how big is that? That's how long is a piece of string. You yeah. can spend hundreds yeah, can, or tens or just thousands. Yeah, depends absolutely. Depends how much budget you've got. Yeah, absolutely. We actually went to friends and family. So, typical of entrepreneurs doing this journey, that yep. go through the friends and family round. And we basically just emailed- um, and phone called a set number of people that we knew might be interested and just said, look, this is where we've been. These are the things we've done in life and in business. We believe we can do this because of X, Y, and Z. These are the people we're coming on or, you know, hiring to support us to get this done. And, yeah. you know, probably 50% of the people decided to actually put money in. Um, but we said Fantastic. we would loan the money. So, we actually promised to pay them back within a year. So, it just gave us a bit of leeway to have that cash up front to but get what, a certain do, In of, hindsight, do you think that was a good thing to do or do you wish that you'd given yourself a bit longer to pay it back? Um, some it some of them we – Yeah, some of them we renegotiated and said, can right. we please um, like extend that payment period out? And we were lucky enough to have – people that cared enough to say, yes, absolutely, that's totally fine. We don't need the money right now. And if people yeah. said, no, look, we can't, it was totally fine. We paid them first and then right. worked on paying the other ones off as well at, the same, like, at a later stage. Yeah. Right. So, um, big money. Mm. How did you get hold of mm. it? So, you've done, your seed, you've done your seed funding from friends and family. What happens mm. next? Well, that, I, that's that money of, only goes yeah. to a certain 
it doesn't go so far, doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't go very far. And it, it's probably more pre-seed is what they consider that. And then the right. next the next stage, we actually went through to do a crowdfunding round through Kickstarter. And that's the okay. typical, you know, when you put a product up, people can either just put in some money and just get a kudos for whatever it is or actually get the product in the end. Yeah. And we did a campaign for that at uh, the end of 2019. Um, it bummed out. It failed terribly. I say it failed in terms of we didn't raise funds, but it was good in terms of PR and marketing. the relationships we built, yeah. the marketing. And then we were. So tell, yeah. tell me, how much Go were you it. asking for, and how much did you? How much did it bomb out at? <laughs> this is going <laughs> to shock you. We were looking to raise no, two hundred thousand, which would get us tooling and manufacturing our first thousand, I think thousand or two thousand units, yeah. and we raised two thousand dollars. Ooh, ouchio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. And it's not exactly the cheapest way to raise funds. So, you know. That- and, and then did that make you worried about going to investors and saying, we've tried it and actually there's no, because then you start yeah. going, because I know, you know, because I'm trying to capital raise at mm. the moment. And one of the things that they say is go and do crowdfunding. And, you know, then the investor will know that there's a market there. Yeah. So what do you do when the crowdfunding's failed? Mm. I guess the biggest thing is to show them the reasons why, to actually analyze the data as to why we didn't hit that target. And for us, there was a number of things. When parents decide to do the bottle feeding process, it's instantaneous from decision to purchase. I can't breastfeed. I need that bottle now, not in nine months' time when you're sending it to me because you've finally done your production run. So, that was our first issue. We sort of thought that friends and family it would have been a great thing for them in terms of my friend's pregnant, I'm going to buy it for them and then they'll have it ready. But that didn't work. Um, Two, we didn't realize just how important having a brand was to parents to make that purchasing decision to as to whether or not they trusted that this was one going to function and two, whether it was safe for their baby, you know? Um, yeah. There was a third thing, and also the because we only advertised in Australia, so usually you can go global with you know Kickstarter style campaigns, but we wanted to keep it in Australia, one to keep shipping costs down, but also it meant that if we had any issues, people could send it back to us, and we could be in as easily contactable way, like you know an hour yes. flight or whatever. It was really close to try and fix the problem or to go and see somebody about it. So those are the in three. hindsight, yeah. do you wish you'd gone global? Um. Yes. Well, I don't know. No, I think it worked out the way you should have. Yeah. yeah, Tell tell me how it did work out. Um, So, we didn't raise the funds, but at that stage, we'd actually applied for an acceleration program. So, we we gained access to MedTech Actuator, which is a med-specific acceleration program. And a part of that, there's a VC backing that firm. So, we got a uh, 50,000 straight up by getting into the program. But each of the each next funding milestone, we had to do a pitch for it. So, we had an extra access to another $150,000. But we'd gotten in in June. We ran our campaign in September. Our next pitch event was in December. And then I was standing in front of a board of, you know, six or seven people trying to explain why they should give me more money when I just failed a crowdfunding campaign. To them, they saw it as I in, ask, yeah, go for it. Were they mainly men? Because that's another issue, I think, where they don't understand a, a parenting product or a product for mums in the same way. I would normally say yes, but there was a lot of dads in the room. So, I think okay. they understood it. The problem is that they're a VC and there's only certain types of things they invest in. 
And in a longer conversation, the investor mindset I found here in Australia is very, very risk adverse. It's yes. very banking where they want every single possible risk ticked off. It's not about, you know, if you go over to the US, they will do investments because they see the potential in the founder and the idea. And you don't necessarily have to have everything ticked off. You don't have to have traction proved yet or do you know what I mean? Whereas Australia, yeah. it's very much these things all need to be checked. I need to make sure it's going to be a done deal before I'm thinking of investing in you. So, it's a very different way of thinking. It's very frustrating, um, though, isn't it, in some ways? Because mm. you're kind of like, if there's no risk, then, you know, yeah. why can't yeah. I just get the money easily <laughs> given to me? But anyway. But I guess you have to put yourself in their shoes, too. You know, imagine how many startups yeah. come to them and think they've got a great idea. Um, it would be a very difficult situation to then look at them and assess and, and figure out which is the best one. I, I don't think oh, I'd want to be in their shoes. you and generous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so so, did you manage to raise the money the second time around? The second pitch I did, first off, no. So they said no, right. point blank. They weren't going to invest further. They thought um, that because I'd failed the campaign, that it wasn't proof that uh, parents wanted the product. They were cautious of that. Say, yeah. I yeah. knew that that would come up. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was uh, they didn't think I was aiming at a big enough market because it was right. a self-sterilizing bottle. I would have to convert people over to using our bottle, our teat. Um, so, with that in mind, we found out that day, uh, we had another meeting with our mentors at the actuator. And within the, that eight-hour period, I'd uh, pivoted the concept, resubmitted a new concept idea and pitched that to them and left it with them. And this was December though. It was like mid-December. We're just about to go into Christmas. Um, and we heard Is this nothing. last year? Last December? We're talking just pre-pandemic. Oh, no, no, no. So, so I should say December 2019. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you had a year up your belt, yes. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we, we were sort of waiting back to hear if we had the funds. But at that stage, we'd just blown through about 35 grand doing that crowdfunding campaign. So we had to pull all of our spending and just wait. So it was just a waiting game to see if we heard back from them. So quite literally over Christmas, I was looking for another job thinking we weren't. I thought that was it. We were done. And uh, we heard back mid-February. Oh, no, mid-January, sorry, to say, yes, look, we have approved. Uh, we started researching the design that we just um, pivoted towards researching the market again back into the R&D phase yeah. and found then that there were products coming out of China that were manufactured in a similar way as our product. We wouldn't be able to do our R&D claims. We wouldn't be able to get our tax back. We wouldn't be able to do patents for it. Oh. So, we had to then go back to them. I think it was end of February, March and say, we, we can't do this. It's not going to work. We have to go back to the original concept that we had. Um, at that stage, it was okay. Look, we had the funds. So um, then we finished our acceleration. Well, did they turn around yeah. and say, that's fine, keep the money? Yes, yeah, because we had the money in the bank at that stage. So we yeah, didn't have right. to pay it back. We finished our acceleration program as well. So we finished that in February. We did our end of you know event pitch, which was all big and fabulous and introduced us to a whole heap of people in industry. And then COVID hit. Oh. So that was, you know. February, March, 2020. COVID. COVID, <laughs> Good <yes>. old COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Which has been good, I have to say, for yes. me, but I know it's uh, mm. it certainly put an absolute dampener on anything to do with business for a month mm. or so while people were going, I don't even know what my name is. Mm. Yeah, 100%. So, how did it affect you other than, well, you know, we, it came? Yeah, well, we, we worked on adjusting the designs that we had, doing the CAD models for what we had. The issues were, though, 
to get us to that next stage of prototyping and tooling, we needed to raise a bigger amount of money. And I basically spent from February all the way through to September pitching to investors. Right. No one, no one was interested. It was a really crappy time. Uh, investors were trying to keep funds for their current portfolio to make sure they survived and weathered the storm. Uh, it was a hardware product. We hadn't proven traction yet. And we didn't have a physical prototype functioning, like an actual functioning prototype yet. So no yeah. one wanted to borrow of it. And it got to the stage oh, where how disheartening. Mm, it was. And it was, you know, for was it eight months by that stage? Yeah, I can imagine you going to the 59th pitch going, <laughs> oh my God, is this never gonna end? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I said to my partner, I'm so sick of investors saying to me, this is a great idea. But we're not going to invest. Yeah. Like, oh my God. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> you're learning all these things that you're not going to do when you become a, a yeah. millionaire and other people and yeah. other people are asking you to invest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. So, yeah. what happened in September? Um, we had met with Birchall, which is a equity crowdfunding platform, oh, yes. crowdsource uh, platform, and I'd met with them the previous year. Actually, I'd, I'd met with them once before, but we'd gone down the Indiegogo crowdfunding route. I met with them again. It was actually the beginning of 2020 and I met with them mid-year and I was like, these invest, like, I'm not getting investors over the line. This is going to be our only go again. But the problem is that the amount of effort and the time that goes into this, the the pre-work, the funds, again, it's another thirty-five dollars to $40,000 that you're putting through a campaign. Right. Um, so, but we had to Can do I it. There's just no other way. What is that thirty dollars or $40,000 being spent on? Mm, so, you spend it on, there's usually a marketing campaign manager, the advertising costs, the legal fees, the offer documentation that you have to put together, right. the video costs for actually creating the pitch video, editing, sound, all that sort of stuff adds up very quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And I know Birch and very well because mm. they've partnered with me with Handle Your Own PR. Yeah, great. Because I'm supposed to be teaching some of those people how to do Excellent. PR. Fantastic. So it went well? It went very well. Um, we raised, Amazing. so you've got like a minimum and a maximum subscription amount you can go for. And we were looking to ideally to actually get to running a full production to being able to ship product. It's about $850,000. It's a lot of money, right? Yeah. But we knew that to get us just to that finalizing, prototyping, testing, doing a small batch run was about, you know, $175,000, $200,000. So, that's what we put our minimum amount at. Again, yeah. the issue is though, we didn't have a, f a functioning prototype to show people. We'd worked right. out a functioning prototype in our testing, so we knew it functioned. We just needed to edit the design to make it more efficient, but we didn't have something beautiful that we could really show people. So we knew it would be a hard sell. Did you um, did you use three D rendering to show people instead? Yes, yeah. yeah, we used we used three D images for it. Um, so we spent about a month pre-planning the campaign. Uh, and that was with the marketing team, help us set that out. They also helped us set out the offer documentation along with our legal team as well. Yeah. And then it was, you know, the month prior, it was a lot of work from my side too. So, other than the normal stuff I was doing, I was doing a lot of work to rewarm up my contacts. So, LinkedIn, Facebook groups that I was involved in, um, anyone that was a part of my sort of company, whether it was my marketing, legal team, IP, you know, share registry. I just reached out to them and said, look, you know, can I feature in your newsletter? Can you run a story? And just basically called out all the favors, you know, and even one roof, like Sheree was amazing. She helped me heaps with um, supporting through her network as well, the one roof network. Yeah. Um, she's very, very generous about helping you reach your yeah. goals, isn't she? I yeah, love her. 100%. Yeah. Um, and then campaign launched and we just, we hustled. 
I've never hustled so hard in my life. I think I was, <laughs> I was doing about 100 hours a week, <laughs> a hot palpitation. Sort of my so partner's looking at me going, Ooh, are you going to survive? Do, <laughs> so what do you do to hustle when you're in lockdown and mm. you've got a campaign? Is that just social media, interviews, PR, all that kind of thing? Or were you yeah. doing something else as well? So just not thinking of the, the actual day-to-day stuff, it was things like writing out the EDM. So the marketing team had written out briefs oh, for yeah, the EDM. So writing those out, updating them, um, posting onto social media, writing newsletters, attending PR events, writing for PR articles and requests that came through. Uh, also calling. So I called just about every single investor that came through the platform as well, because they kind of give you a list of these are the people who said they're interested. This is the amount they want to be involved with, blah, blah, blah. So I was calling. So every second or third day, I would pick up the phone and just do a day of calling people to say, why did they like Pronto? What was the involvement? What was it that got them about it? And just introduce them to the founder, you know? Um, so it was just a lot of work well in that done, regard. Well Shannon, because yeah. that is hard craft. I'm very <laughs> impressed with you. <laughs> just don't ask me to do it again in a hurry. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Hopefully you won't have to ever again. Yeah. So what happened? How much did you raise? We raised 185,000. Um, so, Brilliant. and that was, but it was now literally nail biting, like three hours out from the campaign, we were $40,000 short. And right. I, I actually, I, I broke down. I bawled my eyes out. I just, my partner looked at me, we were eating dinner and I just, I just lost it. I just absolutely yeah. lost it and went, we've put all, all this work and that's it. And, and I've done everything I possibly could. I, there's no way I could have done anything more. And yeah. um, we just sat there and he'd obviously, he'd messaged his mum and said, look, mum, could you do some Hail Marys? Because she's, you know, a bit of, she believes yeah. in God. And I'm like, that's totally cool. And um, Anything she, to, we can get yeah, to help us. Yeah, like moment. I'll take Hail Marys, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, she gave us a concept, look, you know, how far are you off? And we said, look, you know, we're 40 grand off. We're not, we're not going to get there. And she's like, she was like, oh, if it was another 10 or $20,000, I could have helped you out. I could have put some in. And my partner and I had a conversation. I said, look, we can put another the 10 in and she said okay well I'll put 20 in I'm like okay let's do it like whatever let's just we need to get wow. this campaign over the line and then at the last second we had another $20,000 come in like I think people saw us put money in and it was all of a sudden just bang 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 you oh, know fantastic. which is great and then at the end of it so they do the wrap-up report and then you've got I think it's uh seven-day cooling-off period, and we had $10,000 pull out within that time, which is they have about a 3 to 6% pull-out rate at the end of a campaign. So, we were okay. expecting that amount of money to come out. So, we closed really with just over 175000 which was our minimum subscription. Amazing. Yeah. It was crazy though. So what? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like I can feel the stress just hearing yeah, you talk about it. Oh my giddy aunt. So, um, so what did you do with the money, and where are you at now? Mm. Mm. Well, we've paid off some of the virtual fees. So virtual has a you know six percent um, closing fee, which is amazing, and okay. then we've put a portion of that now towards that prototype. So currently we're working on that next prototype right now. Right. And in the next stages, once that's completed, we have to put it through an actual proper lab. So labs will test it, make sure it's functioning as we're saying it's going to function. Then we'll test it with parents and test it with key opinion leaders. So lactation consultants, doctors, nurses, et cetera. Yeah. And also influencers as well. So start getting the influencers involved and getting them experiencing the product and getting to know about it. And then from there, it's tooling and manufacturing. We won't be able to get to tooling and manufacturing with that amount of funds. We're also doing another 
big arrays behind the scenes with wholesale investors at the moment. So we've got conversations lined up with investors in the US and investors in Australia for that next raise. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) I am just so impressed. What a fantastic story. Crazy journey. And and so what's the big, hairy, audacious goal for Pronto Bottle? Where do you want to see it? I mean, I I guess I'm wondering third world countries, whether because of the sterilization, Mm. whether that's an obvious market for you or, or where, yeah. what, what is the goal? I'll shut up. <laughs> no, 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 go for it. It's a great question. Like our ultimate goal is obviously global. Everyone's yeah. got this. This is the this is the microwave of the modern world, but it's a bottle that sterilizes. I see this as being parents will never go back to the way it was by having to because, carry multiple um, bottles. If you breastfeed and mm. pump, you've still yep. got to sterilize your bottle, haven't yes. you? So you do yep. get the breastfeeding mums as yeah. well as the formula mums. Yeah, correct. It just means that yeah. they're not carrying multiple empty bottles with them. That's all. They've just got one bottle with them. Yeah. You know? You are such yeah. a clever cookie. I just mm. love this. Uh, I was going <laughs> to ask you all sorts of other questions, but I kind of feel like this has just been such a good story. <laughs> um, let me just have a little look. Have there been, well, you've told us all the su- sort of mm. successes and challenges. Yeah. You've been so generous as well. Thank you so much for really sharing that level of detail because I think it's about trying to help other women. We mm. want other women to realize what it's like and you have really done all the mm. right things. So mm. it's good to speak to someone. Certainly, certainly <laughs> tried. <laughs> I just have no doubt at all this is going to yeah. be amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll ask you my last two silly questions, um, which are nothing really related to anything. One is because a journalist suggested I ask this and I absolutely love the answers I get, which is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? The quirky fact I think I actually already shared, which was about me (laughs) importing a sex toy and me making kink gear. That's about as quirky as it gets. That is about as quirky and it's fantastic for someone who's making a baby's bottle. I love it. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But I think more than anything, um, it just shows that you've got an initiative and you've got that entrepreneurial spirit and Mm -hmm. when an idea comes to you. And, and this is out there for all those, all those women who might be listening. Everyone can come up with ideas. There, that, it, that does not make you an entrepreneur. What makes you an entrepreneur is when you turn that into reality. And there's yeah. very few people that go ahead and do that. So yeah. you I should be scary. so proud of yourself and your partner mm. for what you're doing. And it will, it, it will be a brilliant product that will go yeah. off. And I'm sure you'll have some massive company come and buy you out for squillions. <laughs> oh, that's the intention, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> And then you'll be able to put it into a lot of new inventions. Yes, yeah. And and that's the thing is, again, with being an entrepreneur, there's, you know, other products that we have in mind to be able to solve things that surround this problem as well, you know. It's not yeah, just well, like the first problem, the, the, the first yeah. one that you had been thinking of yeah. with the um, formula and the and the water together. That, yeah. I, I mean, I just think that would be amazing. Yes. Because I think in the UK – they sell these mini bottles of formula that you buy at the supermarket ah. and it's pre-mixed. Oh, I had no idea. See, this is yeah, the thing. Yeah, because, ah. And I'll tell you why I know because remember, you know that woman Jordan or Katie Price? Yeah. She used to have photos of herself feeding her one of her babies anyway. And I remember <gasps> it was all these little bottles that were, you know, for anyone that's um, listening, I guess they were sort of two inches high, fat wow. baby bottles, and wow. she would just take them and feed them. And I thought – you know, because England, I do find, is so far ahead in design. And I yeah. thought, wow, that'll come here. And I just haven't Hasn't seen anything. Off. But to be able to mix it yourself is, yeah. I think, you know, much better. And the sterilization, mm. you'll be selling it to all those people anyway. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, well, I reckon I'm not going to ask you any of the other silly questions because I just love this story so much. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Oh, thank you so much, Jules, for your time. I really enjoyed it. Oh, so did I. And I cannot wait to see this bottle come out. I oh, just you know it's going to go off. <laughs> that so would be the time got- I would have hit my success point when I finally see this in a parent's hand walking past me. That's when yes. I'm going to feel like I made it. Well, I don't think it'll be that far away. How how long roughly do you think it'll be before it's on the market properly? We're aiming for December this year, but that depends <gasps> wow. on when we raise that next big round. And if it takes right. us a while, it'll be first quarter half next year. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. good luck with all of it. And uh, I might have to interview you after you've got there and you can tell us how the last part of the story evolved. <laughs> Amazing. I look forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. She's the boss.